0: Many of us spend our whole life in search of purpose, desperately seeking meaningful ways to make a difference in the world with the short amount of time we are given. The Deploying High podcast has been designed to help you analyze what gives you purpose, to bring calmness to your life through inspirational, thought-provoking stories and conversation. I'm Nora Firestone, author of the book Deploying High, about the mission and true purpose of our host. So, it is a true pleasure and honor to introduce to you, Chief Gene Saunders.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deploying High. I'm Chief Gene Saunders, the founder and CEO of Project Lifesaver International, the organization bringing you this program. You know, about a year or so ago, I met a very, very interesting person. He has written three books. He has become a life and leadership coach. And without going into too much more and taking all the program, I'd like to introduce my guest, Mr. Jason Redman. Hey, Jason. Hey, Chief. How are you? Thanks for having me
2: on. Happy New Year to everybody out there.
1: What I'd like to do is is kind of talk about how did all this come into being? And I know from reading your book, The Trident, that it was not always a positive view. And I think your book sends a very resounding message to anybody that reads it, that no matter where you are or what you are, it can always change it. So let me ask you, you spent 11 years as an enlisted SEAL and 10 years as an officer, correct? That's right. Kind of bring us into view as to where was your your aha moment? And tell us how all that built up, because I think people would love to hear about how you took one attitude and swung it into such a positive one.
2: So I always had a lot of energy. I mean, that was never an issue. I always, I think this ball of energy, I was always super, <laughs> always moving. Uh, I used to joke that I'm like a shark. If I stop moving, I'd die. And some of that, when I was younger, that energy might've gotten put into the wrong places, I, I was willing to work hard, but I also really wanted to play hard. And coming into a world, a very elite world at a very young age, I mean, I joined the Navy when I was 17. I was still in high school when I joined, a little bit of a troublemaker. I got kicked out of my house when I was 17. And my my dad, who had been a uh, former Army, I think knew that that would be a good path for me. And I had told him I wanted to be a SEAL, so he signed to get me into the Navy at 17. So as soon as I graduated high school... I went off to boot camp and, and down this path and, and being this young man that excelled at a early age and still a little immature, started me down this path that a lot of young men uh, get themselves in trouble in. But what happened is I, even though I was excelling as a young SEAL and as a young man, I was I was intelligent enough and I was talented enough to do well in my career. I also frequently would make bad decisions. I, this energy would drive me into making irrational or immature decisions and still excelling well enough within the SEAL teams to be ranked very high, to do well. I became an instructor. I actually got selected for a commissioning program and I excelled out of that. But all of that kind of came to a head. Um, I think for all of us, we we can excel in this life at a very high level, but at some point, if we are not careful, uh, ego and arrogance will start to erode and will start to harm you. And that was me in a nutshell. The problem in a career where lives are on the line, this is where things start to get off course. And for me, some of these poor decisions, some of these erratic moments that I was having, what I I call 5% moments in my book led to my downfall because all these little... Hiccups, all these little bad calls, these five percent moments—they stick in people's minds. I mean, leadership is a journey that never ends, and if you're a leader, it doesn't matter if you're acting like a leader or not. People perceive you as a leader. And when I made this bad call on this mission in Afghanistan, it was kind of the the last nail in my coffin that I had been tacking for myself. And a lot of guys just said, "Hey, man, this guy's dangerous. He's going to make a decision that's going to get us killed." we don't want this guy to lead us. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at that in the SEAL teams, we actually have the latitude to do that. Our enlisted guys are really the the, the lifeblood of the SEAL teams and the officers are, uh, are, are tremendously valuable. But one of the great things about SEAL teams is because we place so much emphasis on the team mindset, if our enlisted guys say, I don't want to work with that guy, they don't. And uh, the leadership will say, hey, if this leader is in question, if we question this leader's tactical decision-making, we're going to basically put him in a timeout and decide, do they have the ability to lead? And that's exactly what kind of happened in my career. And uh, I'll be honest, it was one of the lowest points in my life that the SEAL teams are built upon your professional decision-making. They're built upon your tactical decision-making and to work so hard to earn a place in the SEAL teams, to become a leader in the SEAL teams and to wear the trident, which is why my first book was called The Trident, The Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Leader, to be told, hey, man, your teammates don't feel like you measure up was a tremendous blow. It was such a blow that I almost took my life uh, while I was, you know, encountering and trying to navigate that really hard journey. And thankfully, you know, uh, God kind of woke me up and shook me and said, what are you doing? You know, that's not the way we don't quit. You know, we, we figure out how to overcome this. And, and thankfully I also had some leaders who believed in me who said, Hey, this kid's got potential. We just need to humble him. And that started a whole new journey. It was the, it started the aha moment, the epiphany moment. And I'd love to tell you that that initial moment where I failed and I was called into question was the aha moment. It actually happened about five months later.
1: I got sent to ranger school. And well, Ranger school, school is an awakening, anyway.
2: It, it, and it was, <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize Ranger School, at its heart and soul, is a leadership school, and it's a phenomenal yeah. leadership school. And it's a leader, and my leadership knew that they knew that I needed something that was going to humble me and that also really challenged me as a leader. And I always hate saying this, but it is true. And I don't, I don't pull any punches on who I am or what I've done. I actually quit Ranger School for a moment. I I came into ranger school with a chip on my shoulder. I still saw myself as a victim that, you know, hey, I was trying to do good things. I still hadn't awoken yet as a young leader, and I still hadn't kind of come to grips with who I was and some of the mistakes that I made and the ego and arrogance that I'd been carrying. And it was at ranger school that, you know, with this attitude, this bad attitude that I had in the beginning, I ended up failing an evolution in the first week of ranger school. And the ranger instructors (laughs) there's a lot of friendly animosity between rangers and SEALs. And I was the only SEAL in the class and I got a lot of extra attention. And when I failed this evolution, the ranger instructors really pounced on me. And like I said, I had a bad attitude and I had weak emotional leadership at that time. And I exploded on them and basically told them they could take that ranger course and stick it where the sun doesn't shine. And they immediately jumped on me and said, "Oh, okay. Well, are you quitting?" And I said, "Yes." I immediately regretted it, but it—you um, know—the the you can't take back a bullet you've already fired, and that's a really important point in this life. You know, oftentimes it's really important to manage this muzzle we have in the bottom of our face because frequently we will release rounds that are really hard to take back. No different with a gun. Oftentimes it's more important to not take a shot than to take a shot. And it was in that moment that it started a, a little bit of a domino progression that almost could have really ended my career. And thankfully, there were some great leaders, including the um, the Ranger School Commandant, the Colonel Ranger School, and, and my SEAL commanding, or the SEAL officer, who had been my commanding officer and now was our major commander on the East Coast. And the two of them were friends. And they gave me a second chance and allowed me to go back. I had to start over a whole new ranger school class. I started and I ended up in ranger school jail for a month where I walked around Fort Benning, Georgia, picking up trash for a month. And that was the aha moment. That was the epiphany moment where finally, for the first time in my life, as I walked around totally humbled, you know, this big, bad Navy SEAL who thought I was God's gift to leadership or something walking around picking up trash at Fort Benning and recognizing that maybe I wasn't as great as I thought I was. And as I really started to peel back the onion and think about how I had led, I I realized that I had talked a lot about leadership, but I wasn't living it. And I really wasn't setting the example. And I really wasn't um, doing it at the level that must be done when when you were making decisions that really could potentially get people killed you know, as we're sending people out on battlefields and missions and things like that. So that was the aha moment. And that really started a journey of leadership that's continued to this day. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Uh, you know, I try to explain to people, there is no perfection in this world. All leaders will make mistakes. I still make mistakes, but I am a voracious student of leadership. I watch others, I watch myself. And uh, now I try and help others to be better leaders of themselves, of their companies, of their teams. And uh, it's been quite the journey.
1: It is. And I think it's something that can inspire anybody that looks at it at your lowest moment, you can still come out of it. And, you know, you use one phrase in your book that, uh, that I like, and that is you earn your trident every day. I equate that also to a leader learns to be a leader every day. There's always a lesson that comes, uh, you know, and, the other thing I think about leaders, and, I, and I'm and i throwing this out there because I'm going to ask you of your opinions as well. A leader has to want to be a leader. That is the way I feel. If, if you don't want it, if you don't feel like it is something that you really aspire to, I think you need to stay away from it. I think there are, are people that, and I don't think leaders are born. I don't believe that. I, I believe leaders are made by their experiences. So with me saying all this, you know uh, you agree, disagree? What is your feeling about what a leader is and and what a leader isn't?
2: No, I, I agree a thousand percent on all those points. I mean, we' will start with the first point. Leaders definitely are not born. they're they're made in their fords. Now, now, some people have natural, personality traits that lend themselves to be better leaders. They may be more even keeled, they may be more balanced, they may be more empathetic, they may be more naturally talented and articulate and whatever all these things are that may lend themselves to be a better leader. Uh, But at the end of the day, leadership is learned and it is forged in the fires of experience. No matter how great a leader is, we're always gonna encounter something that we've never seen. Or leadership is about dealing with people and with people come problems. At the end of the day, it's how we lead and motivate people through those problems that makes for good leaders. In this day and age, I Gene, I think you're right. There is a in in corporate America today, and not even in corporate America, in America in general, I think there is a blending and a confusion that's occurring between managing and leading. At the end of the day, and there's even a confusion, in my opinion, about how we lead. There, there was an and there's an evolution of leadership. I think probably 50 years ago, the leadership style of do as I say and not as I do actually still worked. And there can be some that can argue that that was a good thing or not. I'm not sure I agree with that. I personally believe that leadership by example is the strongest form of leadership. And it is the foundation of what I teach in the three rules of leadership. Number one. 75% 75% of leadership is how you lead yourself, how you set the example, how you build structure and discipline into your life, how you maintain positivity in the face of negativity. And, and, and from there, then it gets into leading others. And it's not telling others what to do. It's providing them the resources. It's, it's uh, uh, motivating them, inspiring them, and understanding how they can be a great member of your team and then holding them accountable. And then rule number three is, is leading always. Uh, You can't pick and choose when you're going to lead. And I think that's where in the modern day of leadership, there are still leaders that have the old school mindset of, Hey, do as I say, not as I do, which is probably one of the worst things you can do in an environment where you're trying to bring people together in solid teams and motivate and inspire them. I mean, there's a lot of us out there that have worked for a leader who use that style of leadership and, and, That style of leadership is you're doing what that person wants because they told you to, not because you want to. And that does not build a good culture within a team or an organization. If you can motivate and inspire people to do it because they want to, this is where you will forge tremendous culture and teams within an organization. But it all starts with you. The last piece is the leaders who a lot of organizations tolerate because they do get stuff done. But I think they fail to understand one critical principle that leadership is leading everybody within an organization and everybody around you, including the people that may not like you or may not agree with how you lead. And this is where a leader has to be balanced. This is where a leader has to understand, hey, I'm not just leading all the people who are behind me and support me. I'm also leading the ones who may not, and I got to do my best to win them over and to find this balance where I bring everybody together within a team. And I think leaders need to wake up and understand that at the end of the day, if you are a leader, it is a choice and it is your job to lead everyone, not just the people that support you. Uh, And that lends itself to a principle I call the leadership wrecking ball. It's the leader that gets things done, but they'll just knock down anything in their path to make it happen. And what's dangerous is some organizations will tolerate that because they still manage to get things done, but it leaves a path of destruction behind them.
1: But, you know, the one thing I found, uh, and and by the way, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I was a Ranger School grad, so I know about the 60 days of abuse. So, in fact, uh, a good friend of mine was a commandant when I went through, Colonel Tex Turner, who now lives in uh, Williamsburg. But anyway, you know, you're talking about the wrecking ball, and I, and I agree with you. However, I think there are times and a leader needs to learn when it is, when he or she needs to step out there and let it be known. And uh, I think a lot of it goes to, as you stated in your book about the mission and so forth, it goes to the welfare and the successfulness of the mission, knowing what it's going to take and not, not uh, wanting to go second best not leading your people into something you know is going to be a disaster because you're not getting the support you need. I can identify with some of that. And this is certainly, you know, and you're talking about how you almost wrecked your career. I know what that's like. I can tell you, I know exactly what that's like because some of your leadership sometimes is not in tune with what you're doing or what your unit is doing. And that, we all know that those things happen, and I think leaders need to forge a style. Uh, you know, there's one thing, uh, and, I, and I was fortunate enough to use to teach some leadership, and that's why I agree and love your approach to it and what you say. You know, being Ranger School, you remember the 11 principles of leadership uh, that was hammered all the time. Well, I believe there's a couple of more besides those 11 Besides a technically and tactically proficient and know your men in the welfare, look out, so forth, seek responsibility, take responsibility for your actions. I think there's one more. And I used to use a movie called Patton with George C. Scott. And there was one scene in there where he's trying to move on Bastogne. And I, I don't know if you've seen the movie or not knowing you, you probably have, and I'm sure you'll remember this. And I use it all the time in my classes. And the weather was going against him, and his staff was complaining. And he went into a rage and basically said, there are good men dying out there. We're going to get there. Pretty much come hell or high water, we're going to get there. And then he calls the chaplain in and says, I want a weather prayer. Well, following that, his aide comes up to him and says, General, you know, your staff sometimes can't tell the difference between when you're acting and when you're not. And I thought his response was tremendous. He said, it's not important for them to know. It's important for me to know. And I believe leaders and reading your book, you developed it, have to have a degree of showmanship. They have to know when to turn it on and when not to turn it on. How do you feel about that? I agree. I, I agree.
2: There is a time that, uh, and and, I'll I'll even take a step back. I don't mean, people are going to disagree with you in leadership and it doesn't mean that you're soft and just bow down to what they want. There's a hard and soft time for leadership and that's why balance is so critical. When things are not critical, this is when we're trying to build our teams and we're trying to bring people together to the center to accomplish our mission. But at the end of the day, it has to be about the mission. Whether you, whatever team you are a part of, it has to be about accomplishing that mission. And everybody on that team has to understand that. It's in the most critical times though, in the most high stress times, like, yeah, I mean, awesome example with Patton, they had to get to Bastogne. And it became at that point that guess what, regardless of your hopes, fears, desires, guess what, this is happening. And it was at that point that Patton had to stand up and say, this is what we're doing although Patton had built tremendous credibility before that moment, you know, he really had set the example with everything that he had done. I mean, Patton was always out on the front lines, man. Patton went out there and he led his men from the front. And I think there's tremendous, tremendous power in this because then when those moments come where you say, hey, shut your mouth, this is what's happening right now. Let's go. Even if they may disagree, they know that you've got their back. They know that you're willing to go before them to make that happen. And I think that is critical, but you got to build that foundation.
1: Yeah, even though Patton did have, as both of us know, his detractors, most of them were above him. So it's it's funny how some of that works sometimes. But um, I'd like to go back to when you went back to the teams, how you had to build back in a sense, as you said in there, reforging your leadership, and I think those that lesson is important, uh, and I think more people need to hear those kind of things. That all is not lost if you have the will to move ahead. How did you reforge?
2: Uh, one one day at a time, and this is a really critical thing. There are a lot of people out there that have failed at some point in their life. Um, whether you, whether you got fired from a job, whether you made a mistake in your marriage, whether you did something stupid that, I don't know, you you, you made a mistake, um, it is never too late to come back. And, and And a lie that so many of us tell ourselves is, I messed up too big to come back. You may never be able to go back to the exact point you were before that mistake occurred. But I'll tell you what, there is a path forward but it starts with you. And it starts with taking one step at a time. So people who coach with me or listen to what I talk about, I frequently talk about, it is never too late. I thought it was too late. When I quit in Ranger school, I thought that it was the final straw that had ended my career. And I literally called my wife that night and said, Hey, I'm I'm coming home. And I guess I'm gonna get kicked out of the Navy. And uh, and I was supposed to speak to the Ranger Colonel the next morning, who then I later talked to um, my my um, our the Group Two Commodore, my boss Captain Vince Peterson, um, my overall boss. And Vince was probably one of the greatest leaders in the SEAL teams ever. Man, with tremendous you know patent level respect throughout the SEAL teams. And I remember when he got on the phone, and I kind of it vomited, you know, emotionally vomited everything that had occurred. And, you know, that, you know, I had gotten thrown under the bus and all this victim BS. But what I, what I finished with was, you know, sir, I've made too many mistakes that, you know, the guys will never follow me again. And, uh, and I don't see how I can, you know, I don't see how I can recover from this. And he said to me, and this was probably, it is the basis. And that really the, the aha moment, where everything started to move forward and the basis of a lot of the leadership that he teach, he said, Red, people will follow you if you give them a reason to. He said, that's leadership at its heart and soul. So he said, go back, get in this course, kick it in the ass and come back to the SEAL teams and give the guys a reason to follow you. You know, at the end of the day, it's you looking in a mirror and saying, hey man, I did everything I could to lead myself at the highest level. and And you will then have the people that follow you because you're setting that example And for the outliers who, you know, never want to give you
1: that second chance, oh, well. Well, it appears to me you've succeeded very well, Jason, you know, just from my point of view. Moving to something else, you know, you talk about what it took to come back and reforge and be a leader again. But you had a devastating injury. What within you or what did you have to do to bring it back? from that injury, to bring yourself back from that injury. And I, I've read the book, so I know what you say in the book, but our listeners don't know. And I think they should know because a lot of people go through the same things and maybe something that is said here today, like the telephone call you had with your Commodore rang that bell. Maybe something said here today, will ring one person's bell. And that's, then it's all worth it. So tell us, how did you bring yourself back from that devastating injury?
2: So it's a it's an interesting thing with the, with the injury and life works in mysterious ways. And a lot of people, when they hear about my story, oftentimes they hear about my injuries and they have no idea that a big part of my story is failing as a leader and redeeming myself and coming back, and that all of that happened before I was grievously wounded. And the reality is my failure as a leader and having to go through that two-year journey of day in and day out of getting up and grinding, despite knowing that there was a lot of negative energy towards me, built a tremendous overcome mindset. And that's really what book number two, Overcome, is about. Because a lot of people read the Trident and they don't, they're like, man, how did you do that? How did you build this overcome mindset? You know, which is a big thing that I talk about. And the thing that I tell people is, An overcome mindset cannot be created by doing easy things. It cannot just suddenly be turned on. Uh, An overcome mindset is forged over time by doing hard things, by facing hard problems, by driving through uncomfortable situations. As leaders, it's raising your hand and volunteering even for the things that you don't want to do because guess what? You learn the most in navigating the path of the things that you don't want to do on figuring out how do we get out of these hard situations that maybe I really don't want to be in, but guess what? I'm in it and I got to figure out how to navigate through. And those two years really, really built a tremendous foundation for me um, in, in the five key areas of leadership I call the Pentagon of peak performance. Physically, I was strong. So physical leadership, mental leadership, I, I had really challenged my beliefs. I had studied hard on leadership. I had was just a vorace- voracious student of leadership. I got outside my comfort zone on a regular basis, emotional leadership. I learned to control my emotions over those next couple of years as I was going through this, not too high, not too low positivity in the face of negativity, social leadership. I built the rings of influence of people around me. And then the last one, spiritual leadership. So all of that was at a height. I was super well balanced in those five areas. So when I got wounded, I remember thinking to myself, you know, Okay, this sucks, but guess what? You just got done walking probably the hardest path you've ever walked. So this is different, but guess what? It it really is the same in some manner. And you're going to overcome this no different than you overcome that one step at a time, one surgery at a time, one PT session at a time. And, And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And that's what will prepare you to get through the hard moments in your
1: life when they come. I couldn't agree more because i think one of the things our country is lacking right now is leaders that are stepping forward to take this country back into control and repair some of the divisiveness i should say that is going on right now but we're not going we're not going to delve into politics I, you know i've heard your lecture and and i enjoyed it i learned a lot from it i think any time that you can listen to somebody that has uh, something good to say and you learn from it, you benefit. How could somebody that may want to get you to speak to them, get in touch with you? So you can find me at jasonredman.com.
2: I'm on all the socials. I put out nothing but positive content about leadership, about how we should lead ourselves. And, uh, and really in in line chief with what you said, I am in 2022, really focusing on men stepping up and being better leaders, producers and protectors. That's what men need to be. And, uh, and we need more men, especially in this country, in this day and age, step up and do that. And, and that's what I'm trying to put out and what I'm trying to help individuals to do.
1: I want to thank Jason for being here today. His words have been tremendous and beneficial. And you have been listening to Deploying High. I'm Chief Gene Saunders, your host, the founder and CEO of Project Lifesaver International. Have a great one.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deploying High podcast with Chief Gene Saunders, brought to you by Project Lifesaver. Deploying High would like to thank all of our supporters across the country and around the world. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe to our channel, make a donation, and don't forget to tell a friend about us. All proceeds from the Deploying High podcast go to support Project Lifesaver online at projectlifesaver.org. The original five a 1c3 nonprofit organization.